After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, going toward down to the sun, down, down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that it was written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Chapter 3, the first four verses. Then Joshua arose early in the morning, and they set out for Satim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. There shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. And then finally, chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground for the Lord was for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did into the into the Red Sea, which he dried up for until we passed over so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. You may be seated and take a few moments to reflect on this, God's word. Some of you know this opening story better than I do. But in case you forgot the details, I'll be happy to remind you. I moved to Wilmington in 1989, and in 1990, Nancy and I bought our house in a little subdivision called Fox Run Farm. That was when, uh, if, you, if you're an old school Wilmington person, that was when College Road ended at Shipyard Boulevard being four lanes, and it was just two lanes all the way out to Monkey Junction, which is hard to believe now. But just off of that two-lane road, there was a new subdivision, and we bought our little house in there for $70,000. And um, 
we decided, hey, we really like this backyard, but on one side, uh, there wasn't a lot of growth, so we wanted to put up a fence. And I thought, well, you know, how hard can a fence be? I mean, the people that put them up don't look like they have a, you know, a degree from Furman University, and so surely I could do this. And plus, all I was doing, I was just putting up one line. I wasn't trying to turn a corner. I wasn't going to put up a gate. I thought, just this can't be that difficult. I go to Lowe's, and they've already got the fence constructed. So I was like, this is awesome. They've got these eight-foot panels. They're already put together. So all you have to do is put up the post, you put up the panel, and then presto, you have a fence. So one weekend, I put all the, the, the post in, the nine posts in on one Friday, and on that Saturday, they were all cemented in, and I was ready to put up my, my panels. So I, I get the first panel, and I put it on little blocks to make sure I can hold it up there, and I, I tack in the first panel, and I stand back, and I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, I just wish somebody had been there to celebrate with me, because Nancy's like, oh, nice, that's nice. But I'm like, no, look at this thing, admire it. And I measured it just to make sure it was straight, and I noticed that on, on one side, the side I was going to have to connect the next panel to, it was just off by a quarter of an inch. It was a quarter of an inch too high. And I thought, a quarter of an inch? I mean, no, I can't even tell. Nobody's going to be able to tell. So I get the next panel, and I put it up. Well, now, on this side, I've got to start a quarter of an inch too high. And so I tack it on, and then I put up the next one, the next the end piece, and I'm like, okay, now it's three inches too high. And I do notice that. And my neighbors are going to notice that. And then I did some quick calculations with six panels left, that by the time I had gotten to the eighth panel, my fence would be 30 feet into the air, <laughs> thus defeating the purpose of my fence. So I had to take down the, the second panel. I had to go back to the first panel. And what did I have to do? I had to get it just right. Because even a quarter of an inch off, the next panel was going to be further off and then further off. And you can see why that was my opening illustration for the beginning and the founding of our church. That, that we can't afford with God's word to be a quarter of an inch off. Because even though it might not be noticeable in this generation, in another generation it will be a little farther off, and we all have enough history to know it doesn't take long before the church has lost its way. And so we come back to this sermon once a year to repeat, to just remind ourselves to say, yeah, this is why we got started. This is why we got our foundation. And so uh, 16 years ago now, from 2002 to now 2018, I can't believe it, I've done this sermon every year just to help remind us of how we got started, what was important at that first Founders Day when we met at Temple Baptist Activity Center, which is now the, the YMCA. And the reason I um, think this is maybe particularly important today, I think it's important every Sunday, but today we're, we're kind of in this, on this bridge from what I've termed Christ Community Church 1.0 to Christ Community Church 2.0. 
that if you had asked me and a number of people that started the church 16 years ago what they hoped Christ Community Church would become, they would say, well, something like this. This, this would be awesome. And so we, we've reached the place that we had sort of looked out and seen, and now we realize that God has readied us now to, to move forward, or what I say, build on top of the foundation that has been put out there. And when I talk about it, most people are excited, but if I could say one common pushback I get, maybe one common concern I get from members of Christ Community Church is something like this. I hope we don't change and lose our commitment to the Bible. So Christ Community Church 2.0 sounds a little bit like uh, we're going to build a new house. And we kind of like the house that we're in, and we really don't want to lose our commitment to the Bible. And, and I think it really comes out of a love for the church which I want to say thank you so much for loving Christ Community Church. You, you love what happens here. You particularly love expository preaching. You, you come with your Bibles. You expect to open your Bibles. You expect to learn something about God from his word. And you don't want that to get lost. And I want you to hear me say, I don't want to get it lost either. That's why I say the same sermon every year. Because I don't want us to lose what our foundation is. I don't want us to lose what got us to this point. And so when we think about Christ Community Church 2.0, we're building on top of that foundation. We're not building a new foundation. So if we ever lost the foundation of our house, whatever we had built on top of it would all be lost as well. So we're remembering our foundation. And this sermon had three points. God's chosen leadership. God's word and courage. God's chosen leadership, God's word, and courage. Those were the three points that I thought were important from this text from Joshua, and particularly important as we were starting the church then, and I think remain important today. So first, God's chosen leadership. When you look through the Bible, you just see this theme all the time. God is particularly identifying people for places of leadership. That's from the beginning to the end, and you see it right away with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were both made in God's image, but Adam was, un- was uniquely gifted for a position of leadership. He was the one who was supposed to protect his wife and glorify God in how he lived his life. And unfortunately, Adam failed tragically. He didn't defend God's name and he didn't defend his wife. And we know it was his primary responsibility because when God comes back into the garden looking for Adam and Eve, what does he say? Adam. Not Adam and Eve. Adam, where are you? You're the leader. You're the one designed to to make sure my name gets protected. You're the one who I've put in a leadership position to protect his wife. And godly leadership is designed to make God look glorious and to protect people. Godly leadership is designed to make God look glorious and to protect people, especially people who are vulnerable. And Adam failed at both of these. Thankfully, there's a second Adam, which we don't have a time for a sermon on. But he came and he did make God look glorious. And he does protect people. Well, in Joshua chapter 4, you read that Joshua gets a, a kind of assignment that Adam gets. Let's look at it again. Verse 23. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan until you passed over, as the Lord the God, your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that, here's your assignment, Joshua, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord is mighty, and they may fear the Lord your God forever. Joshua, I'm sending you back into like a garden. And it's really, you're really getting the same assignment. I want you to be like a, a, an Adam figure. I want you to come in and make sure that the people are protected and that my name is made great forever. Now, why is this particularly important to Christ Community Church? And I'd say there's a number of reasons, but the primary reason is that days might be long, but the years are short. And 16 years has seemed like a blur. Nancy and I can remember sitting on the couch and bringing our children in and saying, Hey, Zachary and Morgan, we're going to start a church. Their first question, are any of our friends going to be there? And we said, well, we don't know. I mean, what do you say when you're starting a church with two people Two couples who are retired. Well, I know two retired couples are going to be there. I know it's going to be dad and mom and two retired couples. And they can be your friends. They want to be your friends too. But I don't think that's what they had in mind when they were 8 and 12 or 8 and 10. Tears are rolling down their faces wondering what this new adventure was going to be like. We remember with great fondness at my expense, me leading the first song, Holy, 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 a cappella. It's rather a painful memory in the Phillips household. Well, we remember the year Morgan was the only boy in the Sunday school, only girl in the Sunday school class of boys. And so regularly Nancy would have to say, hey, let's, let's have coffee today. And she's like, yes. And all these things that we have as a family, you have many of your own experiences, especially if you remember those days over at Temple Baptist. But one Sunday morning, Lord willing, several years from now, it'll be my last Sunday in this pulpit. And it will be your responsibility, especially the elders, but all of your responsibility to put somebody here who loves the Lord and loves his word must do that. If he doesn't repeat this Founder's Day sermon, that's fine. But he must love the Lord and he must tell people about God's word. He must make God look great and protect people. That's got to be his leadership qualities and characters, characteristics. Now, there's two particular characteristics I want to point out here from Joshua. Number one in Joshua 1.1, the Lord spoke to Joshua. So one primary characteristic that we have to have of this leader is that his primary concern is to listen to God and lead from his word. To listen to God and lead from his word. We don't want a leader who leads from the mood of the congregation. We don't want a leader who leads from the mood of the culture. We don't want a leader who leads from their own mood. We want somebody who knows the mood of the Lord, the the word of the Lord, and is moving in that direction. And that seems like that would be so easy, but it's so easy to get distracted, especially by things that are popular or novel. 
Now, I like this illustration, so I keep using it, but there's a reality television show many years ago that they were trying to get going, and it was called Pulpit Masters. And the idea is, and this is what their tagline, could you be America's next inspired leader to make a difference in millions of people's lives? You just, just hearing that makes me cringe. Can you be the leader that can inspire and you can make a difference in millions of people's lives? Are you filled with the fire and passion of God? We are looking for someone who can wow the pants off an audience. And you get three minutes to preach your way to stardom. That was going to be the show. Well, we're not trying to wow your pants off here. We would prefer everyone just keep their pants on. And the reason why we're not trying to wow your pants off, well, there's many reasons, but the main reason, you're not the target on Sunday morning. You and I, we're not, we're not primarily concerned with ourselves when we come in here. We are primarily concerned with worshiping God. So you're, you're not the primary target. You're coming and I'm coming to make God look great. That's the whole purpose of worship. And that, that's what frustrated the Apostle Paul so much. You remember that from Corinthians? They were coming in and they were trying to get some of that glory for themselves. They wanted to make sure everybody knew they were there on that Sunday. And Paul was like, that's not the purpose of the time. And so we have to have a leader who has that kind of characteristics. A couple of years ago, I read this blog. And the title was, Why the Church Doesn't Need Another Coffee Bar. Here's the quote. I've seen a lot of churches boast of cool, trending new initiatives. Pictures of coffee bars that resemble Starbucks and lighting that resembles Broadway. I've read catchy sermon titles and noticed how people have brought movies into their sermons. My husband passed away in February after a two-year battle with cancer. Towards the end, he was paralyzed and unable to get out of bed. He never said how much he appreciated the coffee bar at church. He never once mentioned the lighting in the sanctuary. He never told me how cool it was for churches to put a couch on the platform. Instead, he talked about Jesus. He quoted scriptures. He reminded me of sermons. We sang worship songs together and prayed. Now, I want you to hear me say, I don't think it's bad that we have coffee. I don't think it's bad if I show a movie clip. But did you see when those things encroach in in a way that that's what's got people here? And you've missed, you've missed the whole thing. And so we have to have somebody who understands that characteristic, second characteristic we see in Joshua. In chapter uh, 1, Moses was referred to as the servant three times. And now Joshua is going to take on that mantle. In the New Testament, the word leader is used, worse, is used less than 10 times. The word servant is used more than 1,000 times. There's a statue in London of the great evangelist John Wesley. Wesley, at five foot two, preached over 40,000 sermons in his lifetime. It's incredible. 
At 83, he was angry at his doctor because he wouldn't let him preach more than 14 times a week. At 86, he wrote this in his journal. Laziness is slowly creeping in. There's an increasing tendency to stay in bed after 5.30 in the morning. On his statue, these words, Reader, if you feel constrained to praise the instrument, don't. Give God the glory. Why? Because he's a servant. This is the the characteristic, not just of this leader, but of our leadership. We're coming to serve. We're coming to give God the glory in whatever position that he may have. So Christ Community Church can't ever be afford to be built on the back of a dynamic leader or built by a group of elders or built on the back of a church person from church history or even a vision. Christ Community Church has to be built on the one cornerstone, and that's Jesus alone. Everybody else is Jesus' servant. Second characteristic here of founding a church, God's word. When you, when you build a fence, you always establish first a plumb line. You know what this is? It's sometimes called a chalk line. And so it, you, you take a long piece of string that's got chalk on it. A lot of times it's blue, and you snap it, and you have a nice straight line. So whenever you're putting your fence up, you always make sure it's right on that line so when you get done with your fence, it doesn't, you know, look like this. It's nice and straight. And the, the plumb line tells you how straight you are, how correct you are in that way. And God's word is like the plumb line for Christ Community Church. We know it's straight. We know we're crooked. So we're always going to come to this plumb line and say, no, I, I might be out here somewhere, and I need to always come to God's word to tell me, how I should live. And when this, when Joshua is in this place, he gets two exhortations. He gets a, a visual and a verbal exhortation. First, the, the verbal. You notice here he says, Be strong and courageous, being careful to do everything written in the law of the Lord. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Don't turn even a quarter of an inch. Make sure the word of the Lord doesn't depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. God knows Joshua's entering into a culture. He's not entering into an empty land. He's entering into a culture. And the culture is like a swift moving river. It's not neutral. And that river will quickly carry Joshua and his whole nation away from God. So he's saying, you've got to make sure you're meditating on it day and night. You've got to have it in your mouth. You can't turn to the right or the left. I think the best illustration of this is when you become a pilot, you receive a a visual flight rating. And that means you can go up when you can see everything. Can't go up when it's cloudy. Can't go up when it's foggy because you can only fly by seeing the horizon, seeing the things on the ground. And then if you you grow in your ability to pilot a plane, you go from a visual flight rating to an instrument flight rating. So now you can fly into fog, you can fly into a cloud, you can fly at night because you're now all you're focused in on the on the instruments on your panel. You, you don't have you don't need the horizon around to tell you what's going on. 
And one pilot instructor says this, the toughest part of earning an instrument rating is learning to have unquestioning faith in the instruments. Why? Because when you fly into a fog, you don't know if you're flying upside down. You don't know if you're going up into the sky. You don't know if you're going down to the ground. You have no idea where you're going. Your feelings could orient you in a different direction, and you have to have an unquestioning faith in the instruments. When your eyes say one thing and the instruments tell you another, you must trust the instruments or face disaster. We must trust this instrument or we will face disaster. It is just not hard to see from church history when people get off the instrument and try to say, well, look, we've grown, we're modern, we're whatever, and now God's word has got a little hole in it. Like this this part just doesn't, you know, apply anymore. That's that's where we're going to begin to fly ourselves into, into the ground. Now, it's more difficult to trust God's word than you might imagine. You can ask Adam and Eve that. Because when you fly into a thick fog, and this happens, you come and ask me for a way out that's not biblical. And you could fly your whole family into the ground. It takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of courage to trust this word when your feelings, what you see, gives you a different reading. God knows this, so he also gives Joshua a visual illustration. I love this part in chapter 3. The, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before. The ark, in the Ark of the Covenant is the Ten Commandments, God's word. And he says, okay, it's got to go out 2,000 cubits. It's got, to, it's got to go out like 1,000 yards away. Why? Well, we just don't want any confusion between God's direction and anybody else. We want to make sure everybody knows we're, we're moving off the direction of the, of the word of God all by itself. And so Christ Community Church, when we started 16 years ago, I wanted to make sure that was seen. It was visually felt. And so that's why we have that space between the scripture reading and the sermon. It's because I don't want anybody getting confused between what I read and then what I say about what I read. There's a big difference between what I read and what I say. Now, I'm hoping I'm saying it correctly. But this is the thing that we're trusting. This is the the thing that's so far out in front that, that Paul doesn't get near it. No one else gets near it. This is sitting all by itself. Finally, we see it takes an enormous amount of courage. And Joshua is probably one of the greatest generals in the Bible. And yet three times God has to say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Don't be fearful. Don't be discouraged. And so I scratch in my head saying, well, what? This, this man is a great general. And God three times has to say, I want you to be strong and courageous. What's causing Joshua's knees to knock together? And I would say two things. One, the Canaanite people. Remember when they went in the very first time and they came back and said, hey, the land is flowing of milk and honey, but what do the people look like? Giants. 
And what do we see ourselves as? Remember what they said? Grasshoppers. So we got grasshoppers against giants. That's not looking good. And so they know there are giants in front of them. They, and they might be nervous about that. And so God constantly reminding Joshua, look, I brought you this far. I'm going to keep you moving forward even when the, the external enemies are bigger than you might imagine. But I would say the second issue for Joshua is bigger than the first. The Canaanites weren't Joshua's biggest problem. Joshua had wandered with the Israelites in the desert for 40 years, and he understood that the biggest obstacle to God's plan would be God's people. I think Joshua was more concerned about getting shot in the back than getting shot in the chest as the leader. When you read through Exodus, it is so painful, is it not? These people have been miraculously slaved for 400 years in slavery. And they get out and almost immediately, what do they say? Let's go back. We had onions. And you're like, come on. I mean, how painful is that? And it's not just one, one small time. It's just over and over and over again. We had safety back there. Yes, we were enslaved. But I love safety more. They would rather live in safety and in slavery than to change. That still happens today. Lots of people would rather live in slavery safely than to change. And you and I, we have to be careful not to have the same attitude. In the New Testament, God clearly gives the charge to the church to be incarnational into the culture, moving out into the culture. And we must resist the urge to stay safe. Every follower of Jesus should know that safety in this world was not Jesus' primary concern for his followers. Very rarely concerned about their safety. Their eternal safety, yes, but their momentary safety, yeah, I'm not that concerned about that, guys. Remember when Jesus is sleeping on the boat? And the disciples try to do everything they could to get back to shore. They couldn't finally wake up Jesus and say, don't you care about us? What does he say? Yes, you're the, your life is so precious and primary to me. I wish you would have called me earlier. No, that's not. That's what I want him to say. In the Paul Phillips version, that's how I would say it. What does he say? Where is your faith? Because, guys, one day you are going down. And I want to know when you're going down, are you still going to say, I trust Jesus? So when you follow after Jesus, safety is not a primary concern. And the lack of willingness to move forward in unsafe places, in ways that you can't really understand before you step forward, is going to require strength. Encourage. 
I love how this section closes in chapter 4. Joshua tells one person from every tribe, the 12 tribes of Israel, go, you go get a rock, and we set up what's called an Ebenezer. It's called a stone of help. And you might remember that word from uh, come thou fount. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And so he knows that in generations to come, people might forget. And children might walk by and say, hey, there's 12 stones here. They, they had to come from somewhere. Where did they come from? They came from God bringing us from slavery into the promised land. And we want to give God the glory for that. And we want to be reminded of it every year. And so I say this sermon Every time, and some of you take notes in your Bible, you're like, I've got, I got so many notes here. But it would be very easy to forget, very easy to forget. That first Founders Day, you didn't have to go through an inquirer's weekend. You just had to come and have free barbecue, and we gave you a T-shirt. That was awesome back then. So sorry, no T-shirts handing out today. And, you know, there were still people that were struggling to figure out, well, do I, do I want to really join Christ Community Church? I think we had about 20 families at that point that were planning on joining. And Kenny Smith, my good friend Kenny Smith, who was on the fence, didn't join that particular Sunday. I'm not bitter about it. I'm just saying I remember it, but I'm not bitter about it, Kenny. He came up afterwards and he said, that's awesome, but we'll see if you can hang on to it. We're hanging on to it. As long as I'm here, this is what we're doing. And if five people come or 5,000 people come, this is what we're doing. But you have to want it. It has to be like life to you. Because it's so easy to let it slip out of your hands and out of your heart. And we don't want that to happen to our church. We don't want it to happen to you. And it's so necessary for our city. I want to say thank you because you all are really so encouraging. You really are. And it's a joy to preach to people who have their Bibles open and lean forward and nod their heads and say, yes, this is what I, I'm desperate for this information. And it makes it so much easier to preach to a group like that. So thank you. If you don't know what we're about here because you're new, you just found out. This is what Christ Community Church is about. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, you have been so faithful for thousands of years. You've always been faithful. And we've been able to see this for 16 years, a very tiny little amount of time. But you have been faithful through challenging times and times of great growth. And here we stand on the, the edge of another step that we sense that you are asking us to take. And we pray, Lord, that we would be faithful. We, we trust in your faithfulness. 
Help us to be strong. Help us to be courageous. Help us to hold on without hesitation to the word of God. And I pray for this church, Lord, for from today until the day you return, no matter how it may expand or contract, would you have someone at this pulpit teaching people God's word, protecting them with God's word. And may people rise and stand and shout, how great is our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.